Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. As always, we ask you, please download the app and share it with your friends. You'll have access to all of our station's content. And hey, if you like Joe and I and what we do, we have our social media show primarily at The Frontline with Joe and Joe on YouTube, The Frontline with Joe and Joe on YouTube. Like, subscribe, share, and do all that fun stuff. And today, we are definitely going into the breach, and we are very pleased and honored to be joined by John Finley and Deacon Patrick Lappert. And we're going to be discussing a new book out from us, uh, from Emmaus Road Publishing, Sexual Identity, The Harmony of Philosophy, Science, and Revelation, of which John Finley is editor and co-author. Now, some of you out there might know John and Patrick. Having said that, I want to give a brief bio. Uh, John Finley is the academic director at the Valor Institute in San Diego. He's taught at St. Thomas Aquinas College in California and is a member of the Aquinas Institute at Blackfriars Hall, University of Oxford. Dr. Finley has lectured and published on the nature of the human person, sexuality, phenomenology, and the thought of St. Thomas Aquinas. De De uh, Deacon Patrick Lappert, who is a doctor, um, and he's been a physician and surgeon for almost 40 years. He received board certification in general surgery and later plastic and reconstructive surgery. He served in the United States Navy for 24 years as a flight surgeon, then as a general surgeon. He founded a major wound care center, as well as a craniofacial reconstructive team, team for congenital deformities at what was at the time the largest military hospital in the world. Now, Deacon Lappert was born into a Jewish family, but lived as an ardent atheist for most of his adult life. He had a conversion in, in his last year of training in reconstructive surgery. He was baptized and received into the Catholic Church at the Easter Vigil in 1995. He's been married to Pat Patrice Ann for 39 years. Together, they've raised six children. He was ordained to the permanent diaconate by Bishop Robert Baker of Birmingham in Alabama in 2013, and he's been offering lectures and presentations on transgender surgery since 2014. So Deacon Lappert and uh, John Finley, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe, brothers. Thank you. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Thanks, guys. And we're glad to have you. Joe Resinello. Deacon Patrick, would you lead us with a prayer? Certainly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Almighty and ever-living God, we pray, send your Holy Spirit to enliven our hearts to open our eyes and our ears to the truth which you seek to present to us, that same truth that we await in this season of Advent. Uh, make us sensitive to the needs of those who suffer and make us swift to help them. We ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Father, the Son, and the Holy Amen. Spirit. Thank you for that, Deacon. A good place to begin, I'll be honest, I mean, we do a lot of research when we do these interviews, and I listened to an interview with 
the, uh, all the different experts that were involved in this book. And I'll be honest with you guys. I mean, you guys are heavy hitters. Like, no, that's one good thing that, you know, Joe and I were blessed. We talked to people from across many different fields, uh, academics, theologians. But I mean, I was, I'm, I'm not just saying this, and we've talked to people from Stanford University, Georgetown University. It's an impressive field in this book. And I think that's what makes this book very unique. But the reason why I bring that up is the, the question is so simple. What is a man and what is a woman? I actually, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to parse words. I almost feel silly asking it uh, like honest to God, but I guess we have to ask it because this is what society is talking about. So let's begin with that. I think that's a good uh, foundational question, questions. What is a man? What is a woman? And then we can move from there. Uh, I guess first John, and then we'll go to Deacon Patrick. Yeah, no, I hear you. It, it can feel it can feel silly to put it that simply, but like it or not, that is where we are. I mean, it's maybe never happened in the history of human civilization that that metaphysical questions like what is it questions concerning basic realities have been the stuff of headlines and of common discourse, you know, because typically you can just take this for granted and move on with life. Um, but we're talking about our very identity as humans. So a, a man is a male of the human species and a woman is a female of the human species. A lot's contained in that word human, of course. And this is where we get all the difficulty. In some respects, it's not our maleness or femaleness that's causing the problems here. It's our humanness. We're the rational animal. We have self-consciousness, self-awareness. We live in community. And that makes our sexed realities so much more impactful than you find in any other animal species, right? And so really the question has to do with humanness. And, um, and in, in some way, that's what the book is all about, coming at it from these different interdisciplinary angles. What does it mean to be human as male, human as female? Whereas today, uh, in, in light of the transgender ideology and the, these kinds of movements, it, it, the, the question more seems to be, how does my ability to, to uh, pursue what I want enable me to do what I want with sexuality, right? And so the humanness lags far behind the sheer desire, the sheer will. Uh, the acceptance of human nature just isn't, isn't in the equation here. Deacon Patrick, your comments. Well, uh, first of all, I, I, I agree with you that the uh, it, I feel ridiculous sometimes when I give these presentations because I spend an hour and, and then some making a lot of obvious statements about obvious truths that I never thought as a, as a physician surgeon I'd be having to review with people uh, because these are these are self-evident truths. But I think what's at stake here is that is that this is this is an attack on the truth. And in this case, we're talking about an attack on the truth of what it means to be a human person. And fundamentally, uh, one, it, when, you, when you look into it even a little bit, it, this is things that are obvious even to children, that the, that the human, human life is, is lived in family life. It's manifested in family life. And when we as believers speak of the nature of the human person, we, we speak first and foremost about the fact that we are made in the image of God and the image of God here in the world is the human family, right? That there's a there, there's a, a, a self-giving that is life-giving. 
And, and that's where our gendered self really comes in because our, our maleness and our femaleness, of course, is ordered towards that familial bond that gives life. And so a, a, communion, a communion of persons that is life-giving is, is the most, perhaps the most fundamental thing we know about God is that God is one God, but God in his essence is a, a life-giving communion of persons. And the family images that. So, so this is an attack on God. It's an attack on the family. And it's an attack on the family that, that breaks the family apart. Why? Because it, this is an attack on when you hear people speak about their gendered self, they're really speaking about those that, that, that maleness and that femaleness that's ordered towards the approach and union of male and female in that life-giving process. And, um, and there's an attack on everything from gender stereotypes to fundament, fundamental natural realities about what it means to be a human person. When I have these conversations in public, I don't typically speak as a deacon. I speak as a physician, and I speak about biological realities. I speak about scientific evidence. And, and so to, to your question specifically, what is male and what is female? Well, a, a male is a human person that is ordered towards the contribution of genetic material. And a female is a human person ordered towards the reception of, of genetic material towards the end of producing new life. The female is able to carry that life and bring it into the world. Um, and, and fundamentally, that's where you have to go. You don't need to speak about X and Y chromosomes necessarily. You don't need to speak about any of the rest of that stuff initially, but you have to get at the biological reality that, that the binary is true and real and you cannot understand the fullness of what it means to be a human person if you if you if you try to understand human sexuality strictly from the standpoint of a single isolated person which is what the world does the world talks to people about their scientific about their sexual drives and how to satisfy their sexual drives and it doesn't need to involve other people at all it can be a solitary thing it can be a, a an anonymous thing it can be a, a, per, a wildly perverse thing using non-living things. It's just, it's insane how it's going. But we always have to remind people that the, the fundamental biological reality is that the fullness of the human person is actually at least two complementary people. Because if you don't have those two complementary people, you don't have humanity. End of story. Exactly. John Finley and Deacon Patrick Lapper here joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're discussing new book, the new book. John is a co-author of and editor, uh, Sexual Identity, the Harmony of Philosophy, Science and Revelation. That's out from Emmaus Road Press. I don't even know where to go. I I, I mean, I want to just keep going with the questions we have. But some but you guys, have, there's so much to unpack. You talk about the 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 attack on truth. And then the first response you get nowadays is, you know, well, whose truth? I mean, this goes much deeper than sexual identity. It seems like there's a much broader agenda here because, you know, I watched, I'm just, I'm not plugging it, but I just, like, I watched Matt Walsh's What is a Woman, okay? And I'm more scared of the people he's interviewing, these college professors, to think that they even get a paycheck from a college is beyond belief. That they, they like one of the professors says something like, Oh, you keep using that word truth. It's very oppressive, it's very dangerous and dark. <laughs> Stating an objective, as you mentioned, Deacon, and you did, John, a, a biological reality. 
scientific evidence. It's always follow the science, follow the science, follow the science. So I, I don't know. I don't even know where I, I, I was really going with that. But to me, I just have to I just have to shake my head because I say, how do you respond? John, I'd love to know. I know that was a little bit of a diatribe. I'd love to know, like, what is would be your immediate response to some of this this insanity? Go ahead, John, please. So there's a whole lot in what you just said and, and a couple thoughts right off the bat. You're absolutely right. I mean, this is as much a crisis of truth, of the human relationship with truth, as it is uh, a crisis having to do with human sexuality. And maybe even to go a step further, it's interesting. It should interest us that those two crises are occurring simultaneously, right? That um, John Paul II, I think, is really onto this when you look at both the theology of the body and his encyclical feet as it rots you in both those works he looks to what happens at genesis right that you have uh man's it's in the context of man seeking one like himself that his rationality is revealed when he names the animals right and then the rationality also consists in this ability to hear and obey god's law but that law is then broken in the context of the sundering of the relationship between the male and the female. So that our rationality and our sexuality, at least in Genesis, are, are very interestingly and mysteriously bound up together so that it shouldn't surprise us in that light that we see them sort of societally crumbling simultaneously. Um, you know, you're not going to be able to persuade someone like that professor on Matt Walsh's documentary with some sort of proof, right? It, it's that that's not going to, it's not going to work because if the very notion of truth is being questioned or mocked, then an argument isn't going to help that person. Um, and what you're seeing there is the ability of the will again, to apparently determine reality, because that's what this person is doing. This person wills not to uh, accept certain truths. And in light of that is willing to say that truth itself means nothing, which is ridiculous even in that person's own life because no one can live as if truth means nothing. John, I, I just I want I want uh, I want Deacon's um, input on this real quick. I'm going to piggyback off that a second. Then what do we do? Because obviously we're having this conversation, and there's many people in academia that want to have this conversation. However, because the some of these people, I'm talking about the professors now, not the people that are suffering from these these different disorders. These so-called professors are looking to shut down any argument. So you write a book, John, all right, published you know from Emmaus Road, and Deacon. Obviously, you know when we ask these questions, what do we do? Because we want to at least have the conversation. Like you said, John, maybe we're not going to get through to them, but we want to have the conversation. So perhaps those listening, the truth will get through to them because we're asking probing questions. So Deacon, what, what's your view in light of the fact that, well, when you try to have these conversations or ask tough questions, they try to shut you down in, in, in many different ways. Well, that, is, that, that isn't unique to this particular problem. It's, it's been a problem with academia now for a very long time. I know as a general surgeon, this issue has come up in the past where academia itself shuts off conversation when the evidence is overwhelming that academia is wrong. Uh, I, and I can give you the example, but I, I, I won't uh, waste our time on that right now. Uh, one of the important things in all this, Joe, is, is, is to maintain our poise and our calm and always remember that the suffer, those who suffer with these identity discordances are not really who we're addressing initially. We're addressing 
the very people who are seducing these families, seducing these children. And they have they have helpers at every level of our culture now, from school nurses and and you know grade school teachers and well-meaning librarians. There are a lot of people who've been seduced into this whole thing. And the origin of all of it is academia. Every bad idea abroad in the world today has its origin in the colleges we insist on sending our children to. And and essentially they 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 come out the other side with with this bag full of ideas that is not necessarily rooted in a reality, but is rooted in an ideology. And I think the, the fundamental ideology at work right now is the, and it's very contrary to Christian thought, is the idea that what is wrong in the world is in the world, rather than what we have known all along, that what's wrong in the world is in the human heart, that, that the fallenness of human nature. So the one principle becomes a political battle of power and will, whereas the other one, the principle of fallen humanity, is, is, a, is a, an appeal to mercy and an appeal to charity and an appeal to inward reflection in humility. And that, so that, that's a wildly different view of the world. One has to be based in the truth because it's based in the reality of Jesus Christ, who is the truth. <laughs> Right. The other one is is basically a political construct that seeks to find all that is wrong is out in the world. Let us control the world and make the world like what we think it ought to be. And so that's really the very it couldn't be more opposite. It couldn't be more opposite. Right. One is based in humility and one is based in the exercise of the will and power. Yeah. Yeah, Joris and O, I'm going to hand it over to you. We're discussing here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Sexual Identity, the Harmony of Philosophy, Science, and Revelation. That's out from Emmaus Road Publishing. Uh, John Finley is joining us. He is the editor and co-author, along with Deacon Patrick Lapper. Joe Resinello. I want to um, bring it back to something that Deacon Patrick said, and then, John, I'd like you to com comment on, on it as well. You basically said, when you were defining a man and a woman, that the two beings produce something. That is a child, and that's at its root of the definition. I think this is the root of this problem because sex, the idea that sex produces a human being is completely not in the conversation anymore. Sex is recreational. This is not just amongst like the homosexual or even the transgender uh, you know, community, but in the heterosexual community, Absolutely. in the Catholic community. Absolutely. How many Catholics... Do you know, I went to Catholic school, I went to a Jesuit college, went to a Jesuit graduate school. Guys, I, I, you know, I'm not pointing fingers, but I have eyes. They got married at 24. They have one kid. They have two kids. How's that? How'd that happen? How'd that happen? I got married at 43. I've been married nine years. I have five and I lost two to a miscarriage. I, 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 am I doing something wrong? <laughs> you know, I mean, sex produces children. And that is a Catholic worldview. That was a worldview that was pervasive across America. Judeo-Christian idea, gone. There is the beginning of the problem. John, first you, and then I'd love to hear uh, Deacon Patrick's idea, because I think that's where it began. Yeah, I I mean, it's it's a fantastic point, and it, it aligns with, with uh, just what I mentioned earlier about how the first sin itself occurs in the context of the relationship between man and woman. That's how evil entered our world historically. Um, the, you know, an, a, another good book on this, uh, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self um, by Carl Truman, you know, traces, traces some of this 
the problems that we're encountering now to, unsurprisingly, thinkers like Freud, who made us into a sexual animal primarily, not a rational animal. And even prior to Freud, you know, some of the, some of the other romantic thinkers who had some, some really wacky notions on, on, on our sexuality. Um, but yeah, we've been sort of prepared culturally for the transgender moment uh, over the past many decades because of the way in which our sexuality has simply been sundered from the realm of what it is to be procreative. Um, now, it's also the case, of course, that <coughs> sexuality is a, it's a deeply impactful and significant personal reality. And that's why I think um, Freudism was able to take hold, was able to take root. It's because it is something that's deeply meaningful in our lives. And so there can be this constant temptation to make of it, as C.S. Lewis says, make of it a god, make of it something uh, in itself much larger than it really is. Um, at the same time, of course, they're also diminishing the significance of it since they've lost sight of its connection to new life, to a new, new person made in the image of God. Deacon Patrick. I, I, I would only add one thing to that excellent exposition there is that in addition to, to uh, sundering the, 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 the procreative meaning of human sexuality from its unitive aspects and, and breaking that apart, in the course of doing that, uh, it has it has robbed men of the experience of the irrevocable vow, right? Because because to enter into that relationship, because it's so freighted with the fact that there's a child coming as a result of it, it requires a level of 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 bond, a, a level of commitment, a, a a a vow of perpetual fidelity that men used to enjoy. It made men what men were. And it, and, it, and it obligated them to the care of these now two people, his wife and their child. Uh, and that's, that's disappeared. It's disappeared. Now, men, men do not grow up with the knowledge that at some point they're going to commit themselves irrevocably to the cause of life, to the cause of human life, which is your wife and your children. That it was something that virtually every man enjoyed. Uh, and and now no one even thinks about it because we live in the era of inconsequential sex, and uh, and 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 it's become it hasn't become the 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 entry point for that commitment. It's become just a playground for dissipation, and that's a has a terrible effect on men. In addition to the all all the other terrible things that are happening to men, like the loss of of uh, vocational uh, life that most men used to used to enjoy as part of their self-giving for the good of their family. Um, there's a lot at stake here, but at the beginning, just as, as uh, uh, Dr. Finley was saying, is this separation, this sundering of the, the fundamental biological meaning of the human sexual embrace, uh, you know, from its realities there. You know? you know, I guess, I guess, oh, go ahead, John, please. Yeah, and, and just uh, adding one more thing in turn, it is striking how, especially with the transgender movement, um, you almost see in some of these attacks uh, that we're talking about a move beyond uh, purely recreational sex to total self-absorption. I don't even necessarily mean that at the conscious level, but isolation, right? I, you can't help but think that in the lives of many of these people, there's not much by way of an act of sexual partnership. 
rationality, especially once you've gone through some of these surgeries and things like that, which means there's a choice for, um, for being alone, even over or just a, a relentless pursuit of sexuality. And that's, uh, th that's where you see, you know, the demonic really at work here. Right. I, let me ask you this. Um, I mean, you've touched on it, obviously, in the course of the conversation. So if you think about a battle, let's say, um, obviously, one side, you know, they fire mortars, they want to want to try to soften the target. Um, and uh, is the sexual revolution of the 1960s just that? In other words, that the real, the march, let's say, of the infantry after the after you fly the mortars is what we're going through now. But it starts with the mortars flying, and that's the sexual revolution. Everything you guys just described, separating the unitive and the procreative, contraception. In other words, so-called conservatives in America, they won't even want to. They don't even want to listen to the word contraception. To them, it's all about abortion. And they, but they don't realize that, no, abortion is the consequence of contraception. Because oh. we can't even have these conversations. Most people, and this is where I'm going, most people, because of sexual liberation, they probably think they probably take an indifferent attitude towards those suffering, let's say, from gender dysphoria and some of these other things, because they themselves are living a sexually liberated lifestyle, either through contraception or adultery or whatever the case might be. Am I off in that, Deacon? I'll start with you. <laughs> No, you're not off at all. So the, the, the origins of the sexual revolution, there's, there's a couple of things that happened in the course of that that have entered into the normal manner of speaking about human sexuality. So you, you, you mentioned Freud earlier. What Freud introduced to the world was the idea of child sexuality, right? That, that the developmental stages of a child when they're, you know, uh, he likened to a sexual uh, sexuality in, in, in regard to the whole plot process of pleasure, the experiencing of pleasure, the experiencing of, of release and, and whatever it may be. So, but he, he gave people the, the idea that children have a sexuality. Uh, and that's a, a dreadful thing to give to the world. The other one is, is from one of his contemporaries, a, a, a physician by the name of Wilhelm Reich, who, who is from Austria. And he's the one who introduced this whole bioenergetic means of speaking, this sort of godless energetic process that uh, that basically drives humanity in in what Deal Hudson called the hydraulic principle that that pressure builds and eventually you got to release it kind of thing, and so it, so the world lives that way now that that people feel a sexual impulse and they got to release it or it's going to make them sick. And that even children experience this in pregenital levels of sexual development, according to Freud. And so all of that taken together uh, makes for a, a worldview in which, first of all, sexualized children are now being addressed by adults other than the parents about sexual matters, the sexualizing of children. And it makes them very inward gazing because they're constantly being sort of asked, well, what is your sexuality? A child who has no capacity for sorting a question like that out, it drives them into the world of the digital media asking that very question. So it leads to the formal public sexualization of children, which is a very, very horrible wound to inflict on children. Because as you know, as good Catholics know, there's a phase in the life of every child from about age three up until about puberty that is ordered towards the development of their capacity for chaste love. Children prefer the company of children that look and sound like them. So boys prefer the company of boys, girls prefer the company of girls. And in that they learn how to think outside themselves and to think 
at times sacrificially, it's sometimes involved in sports, it's sometimes involved in other activities. But the idea is that they learn love that is non-sexual, which of course, as we know, is an anticipation of heaven, right? Chaste love is an anticipation, chaste love in this life is an anticipation of eternal life. And so that is what the world is destroying and poisoning right now by sexualizing children with this Freudian idea and telling the world that you've got to do this because of this bioenergetic idea. I mean, there, we had a Surgeon General under uh, who, Bill Clinton who thought it would be a good idea for all public schools to, to teach children how to masturbate because of this, this bioenergetic idea. Yeah. Deacon, let's leave it there for a second. We have to take a break. Okay. You know, if Dante was writing The Inferno now, these people would have their own circle of hell. Dante would probably have to add one. I'm sorry to sound that way, but you can't do this to children. So we're discussing sexual identity, the harmony of philosophy, science, and revelation. That is the new book out from Emmaus Road Publishing. John Finley is with us. He's the editor and co-author, along with Deacon Patrick Lafford. Um, so you're at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. This is a fantastic conversation. So stick around because we have another segment. We'll be right back. Catholic Radio works. And now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So... Let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello, we are way, way, way in the breach today on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We're discussing sexual identity, the harmony of philosophy, science, and revelation. John Finley, who is the editor and co-author, is with us here, along with Deacon Patrick Laffert. Uh, and you're listening to us at the uh, Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Joe Resinello. In New York City, guys, under Mayor de Blasio, a law was passed that said if you misgender somebody, you could be fined $250,000. I have, I, I could say this, I have never met anyone that that has been levied against, but that you could look that up. Well, I, think- I bring that up because I work in New York City and, you know, I work with educated people like you guys. We cannot have this conversation. You cannot have this conversation. You cannot even question. I work with men in their 60s, accomplished, accomplished men who send out in their emails their pronouns. And I say to myself, they don't believe that. There is no way you're going to tell me that this guy who's been working in banking for 40 years believes that. But he has to. And he goes along. I bring this up because I think when you talk to regular people, how I always gauge that is when I shovel snow. And that's really when I only that's when I talk to my neighbors. I'm outside. We shovel snow and you'll talk about things going on and you'll basically say something like this. They don't buy into this, but they have to in their job. Basically, I guess what I want to throw out to you. um, First, uh, John and then Deacon Patrick, how do Catholics navigate this? Because I'll be truthful with you, clearly, and we've talked to a number of people on this subject, this does not comport with Catholic teaching. How do you navigate this? Do we go into the hills like the Maccabees? I mean, is it? are we getting to that stage? It, you know, it scares me, to be honest with you. It, it sincerely does. I have a young family. I sometimes wonder, how am I going to work in this world? 
John, first you, then Deacon Patrick. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. It's a, it's a tremendously important question. I, I, you know, one of the one of the interesting things, and I know uh, Deacon can speak to this um, with greater firsthand experience, is just the fact that we, we're already seeing, even in the legal realm, pushback against against some of this kind of thing, um, especially when it comes to the people who are being most affected by something like the transgender movement, the people who have experienced some of these surgeries and therapies that they're, you know, filing lawsuits now. And um, there's a recognition that's starting to spring up of a deep uh, harm doing, you know, that's gone on um, at the at the hands of uh, medical and, and legal experts. And so so there is that. But at the same time, you can't count on those victories. Um, and it seems to me, uh, Joe, that, you know, as ever, we have to be we have to be prudent. We have to be innocent as a dove and wise as a serpent, as Christ says. Um, I don't have firsthand experience of these kinds of problems myself, so I'm not able to I'm not able to 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 you know be of much help um, when it comes to particular situations. Deacon, what do you think? Well, so uh, the the use of pronouns, the the compulsory uh, language that is that is that is being given to us is is certainly a, a manifestation of what the nature of this this is about. Because if you think about it, language is supposed to reflect truth and reality, and that and that language is is not there to deceive, and yet the language is being manipulated in order to deceive. Um, uh, what what Dr. Finley was talking about this, the, the the course of these uh, legal uh, interventions and things. That what's bringing out is the utter failure of transgender medicines and surgery. And at the heart of that failure, Europe is finding out, has found out, and is now acting, is that social transitioning, including the use of pronouns, is not in the service of the the child or the young person. It's a different matter when you've you got somebody who's you know forty five years old and suddenly decides they're the other sex. And they insist on that. I mean, that's that's a different uh, a different kettle of fish, but the social transitioning of children is has now been stepped away from by the European countries that have been doing this as long as we have. It be this process of socially transitioning children began in America, but was was moved over to Europe. Europe has had their fill of it, and they're shutting it down. Uh, and so, even though in the American world, it's full speed ahead. Uh, in in Europe, we, we see, for example, at the Tavistock Portman Institute in London, at the uh, uh, the, the Swedish uh, Karolinska Institute uh, in Finland as well, that that they're no longer socially even socially transitioning children with this insistence. True charity is perfection in the love of God, a God who has revealed Himself in the person of Jesus Christ, who has told us that He is the truth. So for us to participate in a lie is really a denial of the one in whom we claim to believe. So it's, it's, in, it's an impossibility. The practicality of it, especially for young families, uh, young professionals who are up to their ears in debt, who can't risk losing their job. I see this all the time in my colleagues in the world of medicine. You know, young surgeons out of training who have to like put it on their website. Yeah, gender affirming and all the rest of that rubbish because the medical group that they work for or the university that they work for insists upon it. And, and that's what we're up against. I, I, I'm, I like to think of myself as the old guy who has nothing to lose, and I'll gladly step out there into the fray so that the younger guys don't have to do it. But as Dr. Finley pointed out, we, we have reached an inflection point in this, in this present year 
we've reached an inflection point where there's so many legal cases um, moving through the courts in the United States that are presenting the evidence from Europe that the American academia can no longer claim that they have a lock on the truth. Because are they claiming that they're more intelligent than the, the British medical system, right? The, the, the Royal College of Surgeons, the Royal College of Physicians, Pediatrics, pres, past president of the Royal College of Pediatrics, basically came out and said transitioning children is harmful to children. Okay, if you want to claim that you're, that, that you're doing the right thing by children in a court of law in the United States, you're either perjuring yourself or you are ignorant of the world literature. Pick one. And those there are, right. there are many cases working through the courts right now where that's coming to the fore. And as it, as it becomes, as the, the horrible fruits of transgender medicine and surgery are realized, and it's just a matter of time, we're starting to see it now, the, the number of cases in, in the public law are going to be legion and irrefutable. And it's all- well, let it happen. Let it happen. Amen. Megan. Let, let, it, let it happen. Let it work its way through the court. Joe Rastanello loves to say on the show all the time, money moves the dial. Start costing them money. Amen, brother. Okay, now we <laughs> wish they would hear the truth. We wish that we well, could convert these people, okay? Sure. Having said that, if that's not happening, start costing them some serious money. I want to make a comment on that, and I'm going to hand it over to Joe. People think that we're, 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 you know, the big bad Catholic Church just wants to control people's lives. Okay, we could have a whole several hour conversation on who is trying to control who in this whole thing. Okay, but Joe and I covered a story, and you gentlemen probably know it. Um, a young lady in Canada, 21 years old, she had a double mastectomy when she was, I believe, 16. Okay, she was counseled by a doc, so-called counseled by a doctor and a psychiatrist to go through this gender transitioning surgery. Okay, 21 years old, she's lost a tremendous part of her womanhood, all right? Now she's out there saying, I was lied to. No one advised me on this. No one asked what my mental state was. No one asked what my level of maturity was. They just said, go ahead and do it. And now I'm paying the price for it. My heart was in my hand. I was, I was nearly crying on the show because who helps that woman? Now that she's a young woman, who helps that woman when these people lie to them? And that's why I said, Deacon and John, in other words, start costing them money. Then see if that doctor or that counselor next time around, all right, for fear of a lawsuit, doesn't give some really, really bad information to some to, to some minor, some young child or so, some, some let's say, uh, just recently post-pubescent teen. That's my little diatribe, because well, we are the ones that are loving in this situation. Go ahead, Deacon. You've hit on you've hit on on one of the central elements that's going to decide those cases in the court of law. It's the element of consent, the, the obtaining of consent from a from a child. First of all, is a is a non-starter, and yet that is what drives the whole intervention of affirmation. Is the the subjective life of the child. There is no medical diagnosis. There's no diagnostic process involved in it at all. The child speaks the words. I, I, met, I am the other gender, and everybody has to jump, and everybody jumps right to social transitioning, medical, you know, hormonal transitioning, and, and surgery, and no one along the line has a diagnostic test that can predict the likelihood of a good outcome, the likelihood of, are you, you know, have you selected the patient correctly, so there's no correct selection process, diagnostic process, and yet the providers are saying this is the only mode of treatment available, and they're obtaining basically what amounts to consent under duress 
because the parents are having to give consent and the parents are being told, do this or your child has a 40% likelihood of killing themselves, that's consent under duress. That is not legally valid. We're going to get into that in a second as far as the statistics on life. John, did you have a comment on that? Yeah, you know, just kind of uh, stepping back one, one degree from the front line here, the process that this poor woman went through, you know, along the line, you had a number of other people giving a kind of consent more out of just um, inability to think otherwise, right? And so that's, it's that kind of population that you might say this book was written for, right? Catholics, Christians, people of generally goodwill, good sensibilities, um, but who have who've been educated, you know, our public education, a lot of Catholic schools for the past several decades, it's it's been woefully inadequate, especially when it comes to the, you know, ever dominating voice of authority that is science. Um, and it's accompanying technology. As Catholics, we, we haven't yet integrated, we haven't found a way to integrate these different domains of knowledge so that people can go through schools and really come out being able to, to, to think through issues, to know the truth, have the confidence to be able to express themselves. And so I think that um, when it comes you know, education and, 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 and looking to uh, a true renewal of education in this country, Christian, Catholic, otherwise, is really important for a, a long, a longer term, you know, uh, answer to, to, to these problems and and other issues that may arise. Because even though there may be some success financially and legally with the transgender movement, there's going to be other stuff. Well, seems like there always is other stuff. John Finley and uh, Adika Patrick Lappert are joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasol and Joe Rosano. The book, go out and buy it. As John just said, we need to educate ourselves. We need to have the right arguments, even if they don't want to hear them. Okay, but we need to have the arguments for those who do want to hear them. So the book is Sexual Identity, the Harmony of Philosophy, Science and Revelation. That's out from Emmaus Road Publishing. Go to Emmaus Road and buy the book there. Support our Catholic publishers. John Finley is the editor and co-author. Joe Racinello. I want to throw this to both you guys because um, I need some optimism. I'm going to be honest with you. And we've been doing this for four years, Joe and myself. A Franciscan priest encouraged us to do it. And we throw it out there. I'll be honest with you. Um, we really do. And the more we talk about things like this, we, we talk to a lot of different people. Um, I'll be honest with you. I think America is done. I mean, like, because this is why. And I, I this is why I need some optimism. I mean, maybe I'm, like, just getting, you know, it's pride. And I'm trying to fix the problem. And clearly I can't. Um, but... This is so logical. Like the, the conversation, this is not like we're not like 12 beers into the wind talking about something stupid. This is linear, logical, common sense. No one's hearing it. No one wants to hear it. We're the bad guys. You are a bad guy, Joe Resinello, because you're not letting someone be who they are. Everyone deserves to be happy. How can a society exist if we continue? I, I think don't that's think the it's going to. I think that's the fundamental question. And, How and do I you want both of you guys, like, you're smart this. guys, you're prayerful men. Like, I'll be truthful with you. I sit back and we throw out some, I think, some linear makes you know, the conversation. No one's hearing it. Where do we go from here? What's going to happen? It scares me. 
Well, I, let me just jump right on that, Joe. Uh, first of all, it, it is in the nature of transgenderism that it, it, it functions on a delusional thought. And a delusional thought is not, this is not a pejorative term, but delusional thinking has certain criteria, right? That a delusion is held as a fixed firm belief. And this is what persons who are transgender, self-identified transgender suffer from. A fixed firm belief that is not accessible to linear logical argumentation. That's in the nature of that obsessive delusional thought. And the third thing is that it's impossible. So, but you're describing essentially the same process in the broader culture that it's not accessible to logical argumentation because it is being driven by this obsessive delusional thought about the nature of the human person, among other things, about the nature of sexuality, about the nature of family life, all of that kind of stuff that, that factors into it. So, But we as Catholics know that, that there's three broad routes into the life of faith. There is the truth, which we've been discussing here. But there's also a beauty and a goodness that we have to bring to the fore. And one of the reasons I tell people to know the facts, know the truth, to know the biological reality, the science, and all that stuff is so that their arguments don't unsettle you. They'll try to unsettle you and, and draw you into an argument because that's how cults work. Cults like to exclude people who don't speak the way they speak. This is how the, the, the anxious child is isolated from their family with that very same threat of isolation. So sometimes the, the, the truth is not something that they can receive, but it's something we have to be familiar with so that their arguments don't intimidate us and unsettle us because our anger availeth nothing. Our anger availeth nothing. You have to stay calm. You have to stay collected. And if they can't hear the truth, then meet them with beauty and goodness. Meet them with the goodness that's in your heart and build and grow what we know works. What do we know works? Is intact family life and an intact culture, a, a local culture built around the parochial life, right? And, and to show people the goodness of that is, is ultimately what we're called to because all of this that we're talking about, the solution to the, all of it is that we are called to facilitate an encounter with the one who is the truth. Whether or not they're listening to his words they're going to see his beauty and they're going to see his goodness. And eventually, God willing, their hearts will be softened and they will receive truth. But in the meantime, perhaps the better thing to offer them until they can hear the truth is the goodness and the beauty of the life lived in the sacramental world that God wants us to live in, right? He's given us the means. He's the physician of souls. And the means he has left us is the church and her sacraments. That's what we have to... And so to bring people into that world is ultimately the best way to do it, not by public argumentation. Sometimes that helps. Courts of law, got it, I'm doing it. But ultimately, the most important thing is to, is to just bowl them over with the beauty and the goodness of life lived in the sacramental realities of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Deacon. <laughs> John Finley, I have a question for you. Um, Dr. Paul McHugh. I mean, we were talking about evidence. We're talking about doing research, okay? Scholarly research into these questions, okay? Yeah. Dr. Paul McHugh, uh, for those of you out there at the front line with Joe and Joe uh, not familiar, he's the former chief of psychiatry at Johns Hopkins Hospital. He stated basically 70 to 80% of gender-confused adolescents grow out of their confusion as they reach the age of maturity, okay? So ba based on that, he's called transgenderism, um, a mental uh, uh, disorder, and the idea of a sex change biologically impossible. Now, here's the thing. 
if you're following the science, I get you, Deacon, I, I hear you. I mean, we're supposed to emphasize the good, the true, and the beautiful, the good and the beautiful. But sometimes we do have to punch with facts, evidence, okay? Uh, scholarly research like Dr. McHugh has done. Why can't we emphasize or, or let's, I don't want to say it like this. We have to turn the tables on a lot of these people and say, no, you're lying to these kids because we know that 70 to 80 percent of these confused kids are going to grow out of it. That's based on research and science. Um, why are we so afraid to do that, John Finley? Why are we so afraid to push back in a loving way, but to say, no, we're not going to allow you to touch these kids? Under the law, we're not going to allow you because we have the research to show that what you're going to do is going to be very, very harmful for them. Why are we acting so cowardly in our society? Yeah, okay. I'm, you know, so obviously some people are doing it. Um, I know our our colleague Patrick right here uh, at, at the highest courts of, of law has been offering this sort of testimony um, and in the medical industry, and there are others too. You know, I think I think part of it has to do with rhetoric so for for example you know two years ago there was a major headline i think it was the st louis post dispatch um talking about how 15 year old so-and-so denied the right to exist right because if her trans identity isn't accepted and that's who and what she is then she is not being given the right to exist i mean it's such an incredible astonishingly um dramatic phrase right well, once they've got that phrase, then so many of us are kind of reeling like, oh, my goodness, what uh, what do we say? What do we do? You know, this person, at least internally, think how she must be feeling as though her very life is up for grabs. So then you you get put in this position of like, well, uh, I want to say, you know, something, but but I don't want to topple her over and, and all this kind of stuff. Right. So I think I think there's two issues. One is, as Deacon was saying. Having the knowledge, having the calmness um, and the confidence to be able to express yourself articulately, but also it is a matter of getting the rhetoric right. Like, don't don't let them take that high ground because that's not where the, that's not where the, the truth is. That's not where the, the, the high ground actually is. Right. And so we've got to be creative and, and clever to some extent in, in being able to make these fundamental appeals to what's true about us, to what's actually human. Um, to what will connect and also and also be able to put the truth into that that greater context. Um, I also think people need examples. We need to see it more, you know, be it editorials, letters written to these newspapers, people sh showing up on on the television or whatever it is. A lot of people just need one or two good examples, a little bit of a model to to motivate them to to do something themselves. But for most of us, it's going to be local. It's going to be in a context of our school board or district, our parish even. I mean, think how many Catholic parishes are, you know, we're, we're just, the church is always behind in some ways, very slow, you know? And so it takes people to be more proactive, to say, look, let's get some folks together and actually read this. Let's talk about it so that we'll be forearmed, you know, when uh, this does come to our parochial school, which it inevitably is going to at some point. Mm. So uh, Dr. John Finley and Deacon Patrick Labbert are joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We probably have about enough time for one more question. Joe Rasinello, I'm going to throw it over to you. Deacon Patrick, I think you wanted to comment on that. Oh, I'm sorry, Deacon. The issue has suddenly come to life in the last couple of years, as Dr. Finley was saying, that, that yeah, it's being argued publicly in courts of law and the scientific evidence is being amply presented uh, with, you know, uh, expert testimony, uh, uh, 
material is being sent to various courts at the federal and the local level. Legislatures are acting on this now. Several states have, have banned, outlawed the transitioning of children, including Alabama, Arkansas, Texas, um, among others, Florida now. Um, so it's, it's out there. And then there's the whole tort side of personal injury that's bringing it to the fore and, and the argumentation over scientific validity, scientific evidence, and so on. So it's a very public conversation that's developed now. And, and for the, the majority of the public presentations I've done on this subject have been to dioceses that are trying to straighten this out and to be ahead of the uh, ahead of the process because the church is in the crosshairs of the transgender issue. If we don't stand up to it, it's basically going to be a, a destructive attack on the church through the schools and, and various other other means. Uh, we've had a positive, a favorable ruling from uh, the the, the uh, Supreme Court recently about about uh, practitioners can't be compelled to offer these services, particularly Catholic practitioners. So there's a very public conversation going on right now. And there are some, some very courageous, I know of a physician from St. Louis who's risking everything. And he's got a young family and he's got a practice. He's got a university-based practice and he's got everything on the line, but he ain't stopping. Uh, and right. so it's- no, Right, thank you for that, Deacon. Joe Racinello, we only have a couple minutes. I want to just piggyback on what Deacon Patrick just said, basically, uh, regarding particularly um, that physician in St. Louis uh, who basically risked everything. You mentioned that physician in St. Louis that risked everything. Um, this is how we have to live. I'm going to be I, I, honestly, I, I'm, I'm going to just throw this out there. Um, we have to get out of the boat and trust Jesus Christ. Until that happens as a Catholic church, we are soon going to be separated from the sheep from the goats on this same-sex marriage issue. Mark my words, legislation was just passed um, recently in the United States, for those who don't know, that's basically going to compel people to recognize same-sex marriage. That's going to bleed into the church very soon. A couple is going to show up at a Catholic church, demand that they get married, and sue. And depending on the courts and how that goes 25 years ago, there could be trouble. Maybe not now, 30 years from now. We have to get out of the boat and trust Jesus. I don't think we do. I don't think we do. Enough. We have to do that. First, John, your comments on that. We have to encourage people based upon example, like you just said, Deacon Patrick, he's risking everything. Well, we have to. Jesus risked everything. And he, he'll take care of us. I don't know if we believe it. John, your comments on that. We probably have a minute for each of you. Um, well, I think I think what you said is absolutely right, Joe. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard for me to add much. But I think that, um, you, like, once again, we need these models and sometimes experiences in our own lives that might not have anything to do with these transgender issues going on. But we all have something in our lives that forces us to have to make this decision to trust Christ or not. Um, and we've got to learn from that. I do think that that all of us, especially, you know, those have been we've been blessed with with good education and that some of the time and ability to think about these things. We can't let up. You're absolutely right. All right. Deacon. Well, I would I would just finish that off with the the, the reality. One of our greatest dignities as baptized believers is that we are given the honor of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. 
And one of the one of the most powerful, most salutary things that we can do is to willingly suffer for the good of others. And so to suffer in this in this fight is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing because that is what what, what brings the just the example your example in that circumstance is brings people to think about what it is you're talking about, suffering for the good of the sheep that he so loves. We want to thank you both, John Finley, uh, Deacon Patrick Lapper, for joining us here. This was a great conversation. I know our audience is going to love it. Um, we encourage you all out there listening to us at the Frontline with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network to go out and purchase this book. John Finley is the editor and co-author, Sexual Identity, the Harmony of Philosophy, Science, and Revelation. That's available at Emmaus Road Publishing. Thank you both so much for coming on the show and you're welcome on the front line with Joe, Joe, Joe and Joe anytime. Thank you. Thank you. You're, you're, Thank you so you're, much. It was wonderful to be here. It's a great, great feast day to be having this conversation too. <laughs> I agree. And we thank you all out there for joining us here at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith in the New York City metropolitan area. Download the app, Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app, so that you could have access to all of our station's content. And if you like what Joe and I do, primarily right now, you can find us at the front line with Joe and Joe on YouTube, the front line with Joe and Joe on YouTube. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.